Well, good morning, Randolph Street family, and welcome to our Lord's Day gathering. I trust that walking into this room and what is to take place over these next 90 minutes or so is simply expression, an expression of your heart and your experience with your walk with the Lord over these past six days or so. And now, now we gather as God's people and we will lift up our voices in worship and praise to our glorious God. So I trust your hearts are prepared and ready. We have prayed for you, asking the Lord to do an incredible work in our hearts as we gather together as God's people. A few announcements. We'll take your bulletins. Just a few things to point out to you, uh, to keep in mind. Really just going to point out two things to you this morning. Uh, First of all is our God's Theology Night. That will take place this evening at 7 o'clock. It will go from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Uh, I'll be leading that session, and men, we really encourage you to be a part of this. Our goal is kind of twofold, not only to think through good theology, good doctrine, to equip our minds, uh, but we want to also uh, prepare ourselves to best serve our brothers and sisters in Christ to serve the church. So our goal tonight will be to understand a significant truth for us, but likewise equip us to serve and to care for our brothers and sisters around us. So that will begin at 7 p.m., uh, it'll happen probably in this space. Show up. Doors will be unlocked, Lord willing. And uh, we will go until 8 p.m. this evening. Uh, mark your calendars for next Sunday. Our own mission meal takes place. Uh, it's the first Sunday of the month. We will uh, enjoy a meal right after the gathering. During our gathering, we'll have Cody and Savannah Ham with us. Uh, we'll be doing a quick interview with them as they uh, will share with us their next step in life, which is Radius International. A school that prepares and trains individuals for ministry among the unreached, church planting among the unreached, which is close, near, and dear to our hearts. Uh, So he'll be sharing with us. I'll be talking with you about how we are going to partner with them uh, for that particular season of life for them. Next week at our own mission meal, all funds uh, that are raised during the own mission meal will go to support Uh, Cody and Savannah. The Lord has done an incredible work of grace in Cody's heart these last few years, and uh, I'm anxious for him to share that with you and for us to partner with him in any way we possibly can. Okay, all that's out of the way. Uh, It's the Lord's day. This is our time to come and to gather before our God. Let us do so with clean hands and pure hearts as we prepare to sing to our God, to lift up our voices to him. So let's take a moment, quiet our hearts before the Lord. It it is right for us to confess our sins as we enter into this most serious time together as a church family. So let's take just a few moments to pray and ask the Lord to do a work in our hearts. and let us hear the word of God call our hearts to worship this morning. A very familiar text, an incredible call to worship for us together. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 
verses 1 through 6. O come, let us sing to the Lord, and let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of all the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And then this wonderful truth in verse number seven. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. Amen.
truth. You folks have just been singing so well over these last weeks. My heart is always so full and encouraged by the way you come and worship our great God together. Our catechism question today has such huge importance for us. As we say often, we've been tracking through how God has revealed himself to man, the plan of redemption as it's laid out in these uh, catechism questions. And today the question is, did God leave all mankind to perish in the condition of sin and misery? God, out of his mere good Father, what sweet and precious and encouraging words of hope the, this answer forms in our hearts this day. Father, we are so grateful that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that you made a way possible to restore them to fellowship. You made a way possible for us to be restored in fellowship. Lord, we are grateful for the redemption that we have in Christ. We thank you for the song that we just sang that just laid forth the great truths of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We have been forgiven. We have been redeemed. We have been reconciled. We've been adopted into your family. We have been sealed with the spirit of promise until the day of redemption. Lord, we have been kept by the power of your word. Lord, we know, we recognize in our own frailty that without that sustaining, persevering work of grace through the Holy Spirit that we would fall in a moment. Yet, Lord... The salvation that you have purchased for us, that you have designed and set forth is an eternal salvation. And so, God, we stand before you this day to give praise to your holy name. We stand before you this day to acknowledge our need of you. We stand before you this day asking, O oh God, that you would feed our souls. We would stand before you today, O oh Lord, pleading for anyone who does not know Christ here. O oh, Spirit of God, give them life. Bring them to Jesus this day to be saved. Lord, we are indeed a blessed people. No matter whether we are walking through very difficult times or where things are going well for us in our life at this moment, we are a blessed people because we know you, and more importantly, you know us. And we rejoice and give you praise for that. Amen. Please stand and sing. Thank you. 
of John. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is that that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and by blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. We receive the testimony of men. The testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God, that he has been born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Please stand and sing. So to him I give 
Take your copy of the bulletin and open with me to the inner far right page as we pray for our gospel partners this morning together as a church. Let me make a comment before I speak to this particular gospel partner. This past week, I had the privilege of being with our network of churches, our pastors from those network churches, as we were in Louisville for the Together for the Gospel Conference. Uh, thanks to your giving, we were able to put up a Zibler's booth for the 321 Network and Hope for Appalachia. Had so many good conversations, but the fruit of our time away was not in talking with people about the 321 Network or Hope for Appalachia. The fruit of our time away was the, the relationships built among our 321 Network pastors. They were so deeply encouraged. I say that to you because hopefully you're faithfully praying for them. And again, through your giving, we're able to do things like that to encourage good men who are pastoring in difficult places. Uh, so thank you and continue to pray for them. Today, our gospel partner highlight is a new global missions partner for us in 2022. Uh, this particular individual is located in North Africa, Bible translation among unreached people groups, which is an incredibly difficult task, requires long-term vision, much patience, Yet, it is an essential work of the gospel in getting the scriptures into readable translations among these unreached people groups. This particular partner of ours has been with us in our gathering uh, a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, if I remember correctly. Uh, he is in two nations in Northern Africa doing a great work. We partner with him beginning, financially partner with him beginning in 2022 and we're excited about a long-term partnership with him. So let's take a few moments and ask for the Lord's blessings upon him this morning. Well, Father, here and abroad, we are grateful that you have allowed Randolph Street to be a part of the work of the gospel, multiplication, spread of the message of Christ, and in particular, to every tribe, tongue, and nation, 
especially to those who have never heard the name of Jesus. Those who do not have a faithful witness of the gospel through local churches. And Lord, today we pray for this new gospel partner for Randolph Street. That as he engages in Bible translation among unreached people groups to northern Africa nations. Lord, that you would grant him wisdom, patience, a persevering, enduring faith. Lord, as he works and labors for the sake of Christ in northern Africa, may he be encouraged by your spirit. May he know that the people of God spread really throughout the world are praying for him and the work that he's engaged in. May he sense a close connection to Randolph Street and that we are lifting his name up before you on a consistent basis. May he know that his brothers and sisters here are praying for him. Lord, would you protect him from the evil one this day? Certainly in this particular type of ministry, there must be deep layers of discouragement. Lord, would you encourage his heart even now as we pray for him? Lord, we would ask for many opportunities before him in the, in the years to come. You have opened a new door for him in recent months in northern Africa among those who have never heard. For that we rejoice. Lord, open more. Grant fruit to his labors. Lord, as he plants seeds of the gospel through verbal discussions and through translated scriptures, as he plants those seeds, oh God, through your spirit, would you bring forth fruit to your glory. Through men and women and children who have never heard the gospel coming to faith in Christ. Lord, again, we pray for our brother that you would protect him against not only the evil one, but the wicked who would rise up against gospel work in these nations. Lord, give him favor in the eyes of governing authorities over tribes and clansmen, those who lead those regions. Give him favor in their eyes that he might do the work of our Savior there. Lord, as we give, help us to do so sacrificially and joyfully, knowing that our funds are going to the work of the gospel here among our local church, but likewise in places like northern Africa this day. Lord, bless your people as we give. Bless this man as he serves. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>
Thank you for that song this morning. If I seem a bit emotional, that song has special significance to Becky and to me. We played that song, Sherry Trainer, friends of Jason and Ginger's and ours. Sherry sang that song in our daughter's memorial service, How Beautiful the Body of Christ. I wish we could have seen the words. They are very moving. Thank you very much for playing that this morning. I don't know what it'll do for me, but uh, it was a beautiful song. I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 10 this morning as we start back into our study in this glorious history of the church of Jesus Christ. As Pastor Jason mentioned, he was at T4G this week and he left Monday in the afternoon, but he was in the office Monday morning as he was walking out to leave. He stuck his head into my door and asked if I was going to be ready to preach on Sunday, and I said, sure. And he said, uh, you know, this is a very important section in the book of Acts, so don't mess it up. Get it right. And so I thought, okay, that sounds good. As uh, I began to study, I found that others firmly agree with this. Bach in his commentary says this about this particular section. This section is one of the most important units in Acts. In a sense, this scene is the book's turning point. As from here, the gospel will fan out in all directions to people across a vast foray, array of geographical regions. Ryan Vickers says this in his commentary, and he states it so well. Listen carefully to what he's saying, because he catches the essence of why this is such a critical portion. This passage is one of the most significant narratives in Acts, indeed, in the whole Bible. It reveals a major step forward in the progress of God's revelation and his plan for redeeming the world. We often speak about the scriptures as being the plan or the redeeming work of God, that thread of the redemption that God provided for his people throughout the Old Testament as it comes into the New Testament. This portion of scripture, more than any other probably, highlights that transition, puts it on full display. And so when you read such things as this or your pastor comes in and says something like this, it does two things or it did two things to me. One, it made me nervous. I realized I needed to get this right. And secondly, as it does so very often as we think about God's word, it causes us to ask the questions, why? Why is this so significant? We're looking at a large portion of Scripture here, beginning in chapter 10, verse 1, and going through chapter 11, verse 18. So this is a significant portion of Scripture. We're going to divide this section up into two parts. This morning, what I would like to do is to kind of survey and try to answer the question, why is this text so significant? 
try to look at the plan of God as it unfolds through the ages, in particular as the book of Acts unfolds, taking the blueprint that Jesus set forth and seeing it brought about. And so that's going to be our main aim today. We're going to look at the characters involved, the places involved, both are significant. We're going to look at the visions that Cornelius had and that Peter had. And it's going to lead us up to the message that Peter is going to proclaim to the household of Cornelius. And we will not get to that until a couple of weeks. Pastor Jason will be doing a Doctrine Matters series next Sunday morning. And then the following Sunday, I'll have the privilege of coming back and finishing up this portion of Scripture. Luke, who authors the book of Acts, God used him to pen this history, also has a gospel dedicated to his name. He penned a narrative or a life story of Jesus Christ, bringing forth some of the significant things. There are three statements that Luke makes or draws attention to in his gospel that give us some insight as to where he's going in chapter 10. You recall that very moving section after the birth of Christ. He was circumcised at the time of purification. Mary goes to the temple to make a sacrifice as the law dictated. And as they are there, you remember there was an older man there by the name of Simeon. It's a very precious passage of Scripture that we often read in connection with the incarnation, the Christmas uh, story. Simeon sees Mary and Joseph coming in, and the Spirit of God had told him as he's getting older, you will not die until you see the Lord's Christ, until you see the Messiah, until you see what God has set forth. And so Simeon looks into the face of this little baby, into the face of Jesus Christ, and he makes this statement, glorious words. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And then this next statement gives us some insight as to what's going to happen in our text today. A light revelation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. And so as he looks into the face of Jesus, not only is the nation of Israel set in place there, this king who is coming, this one who is born of the lineage of David, this one who has so much wrapped up as far as the history of God's people Israel, but he also says this baby goes way beyond the salvation that I see in the face of this child, goes way beyond just the glory of Israel. It goes for a light to the Gentile people. Now I know probably everyone here understands, but I'll make this just to make sure that we all understand what we're talking about. A non-Jew is a Gentile. Two classifications, broad classifications that are set forth in the Word of God, Jew and Gentile. A little bit later on, as John the Baptist is introducing the ministry, Luke is going to draw from a passage that John uses when he speaks about his ministry, and he draws from Isaiah 40. And in Luke 3, it says, All flesh, not just Jew, but all flesh, all peoples, 
shall see the salvation of God. At the conclusion of his narrative, Luke draws from an account of Jesus Christ in Luke 24. We're going to see this in a little bit different setting in just a moment. In Luke 24, he says, Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, is the Christ, that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And so the plan is set forth here, that the gospel is going to go far beyond the nation of Israel. Jesus came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but much more than that, it is going to be proclaimed to all nations, and it's going to begin at Jerusalem. You are witnesses, he says, of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But Jesus said, you stay here in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. When you read the Old Testament scriptures, the 39 books, that large section of, of literature dedicated to the opening aspects of creation and then the calling of Jacob, renamed Israel, the formation of the nation of Israel, so much of the Old Testament has to do with Israel. Very seldom do we see anything happening among the Gentile people of great significance other than they're the enemies of God. One of the great examples from this of God's reaching out to the Gentile people comes through Jonah who was swallowed up by the whale. You remember why he was swallowed up. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, the Gentile people, those people who are heathens, those people have nothing to do with God. I want you to go and preach repentance to them, present God to them. Jonah said, I don't want to go to them. I would rather do anything. I will run away from you. I do not want to go. And you know the story of Jonah. And God does send a great salvation there in Nineveh. But those shining into the Gentile people to us, most of us here today, if not all of us, I know Karen has a Jewish background, but most of us here today are Gentile. We're from the nations, not the nation of Israel. It has significance. Probably the most, in my mind anyway, the most powerful and clear statement regarding the nations and what Jesus has clearly in mind and has from the beginning, even before creation, is, comes from his lips in John 10. Listen to what he says. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now listen to this next statement. I have, he said, I have, Jesus has. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, not of this nation, not of this people, Israel. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And then this astounding statement that I'm sure the disciples, as they heard it, 
had no real inkling to what Jesus was saying. This is something that's going to be revealed. It's something that's a great mystery that was so difficult for people to lay their hands on to. And yet the passage we're looking at today is the one that fully exposes what God is going to do. He said, so there will be one flock, one flock. This other fold, these other sheep, these other nations are not going to be separate. It's not two categories. It's one people, one flock, and one shepherd. It sets forth the eternal plan of redemption, that it goes far beyond Israel, but will embrace all nations, every tongue, tribe, and people. Christ, who is building his church, don't ever forget that. It is so difficult for us to even fathom what we're talking about here today because the whole context of our life is a Gentile church. That's where we've gone to church with. That's who we know. Those are our friends. We're taking the, the message to the nations. And that's just so commonplace to us that it's almost impossible for us to fathom a time when the Gentile people were by and large excluded from the work of God and, the, and, and what he is doing. It was to the nation of Israel. But now God is going to change. And Jesus, who is the builder of the church, make no mistake about this. We are not a favored people because we are a wonderful people. We tend to think in America, isn't God fortunate that he got America on his side? And somehow we get all this mixed up in our mind. We are recipients of the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ because God sovereignly ordained it. It is what he had in his heart and mind intentionally bringing the gospel to all people. Now listen to how this is going to unfold. Jesus is telling his disciples. Now these are the very last words that Jesus Christ speaks on this earth. He has been crucified, buried, and risen. There's 40 days of post-resurrection ministry. Now Jesus is back in Jerusalem. He's on the Mount of Olives, and he's addressing his disciples. When he finishes this statement that I'm going to read in a moment, he is taken to heaven. He is taken to his Father. He ascends to the right hand of the Father in glory and is there until this day. These are the last words. He is going to tell us. He is speaking to us. This is a command. This is a commission. This is information that to us is second nature. To them, I'm sure they had a difficult time really grasping what he is saying here. But this is what he says. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, Jesus said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, this is significant. 
We will not get to this today, but in the second part of this message, this is extremely significant. Something is going to happen on the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, that is going to be repeated in the household of Cornelius that is going to put a stamp on this, that this is of God, a powerful stamp on this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, they're always wondering this. They, they, they've just got Israel on the mind. I mean, you can imagine this. I can, I can fully understand what they're saying. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the kingdom being restored to Israel. But, now you listen, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what you are going to do is bear, be my witnesses. You're going to bear witness to what I am, who I am, and what I have done. You're going to bear witness to the message of the gospel. And this is the geographic progression. You will receive, or be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, if you're familiar with the geography, they are in Jerusalem when this statement is made. Judea is to the north, Samaria is to the north. Judea is that region that's around Jerusalem in that area, excuse me, been to the north and south, Samaria a bit to the north. And so he says, it'll go to these areas. And then finally he says, and to the end of the earth. I'm going to build my church, and my church is going to include not only Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, but it is going to go forth. It will march to the nations. Chapter 2, the first sermon, day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God descends upon them mighty working, rushing, all the things. Pastor Jason did such a good job as he presented all this information. He preaches to them. 3,000 people come to Christ. Jewish people accept Jesus as Messiah. They understand. They repent. They are baptized. They are acknowledging this Jesus. And then for the first seven chapters, it's about Israel. It's about the gospel going forth, but to the Jewish people. There's great battle going, taking place here. The religious leaders are fighting against them. They're going to the synagogue. They're going to the temple. They're going to all these places. They're trying to help them understand that this Jesus that you crucified, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He died for you. He died for your sins. Repent, believe, have faith, trust Jesus. Be saved. He's the only way to heaven. There is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. You must believe in Christ. And we love that message. But it was all within the surroundings of Jerusalem. And then we began to see it move out a little bit. Pastor Jason brought this to our attention. 
in Acts chapter 8, or excuse me, at the end of chapter 7, I had the joy of preaching about Stephen and his martyrdom. Dr. Vickers made a statement that I quoted that day, and I want to requote today. We're probably giving Brian way too much time here in this sermon this morning. Listen to this, and he makes this statement, and it's going to lead to chapter 10. This section, he says, the martyrdom of Stephen, chapters 6 and 7, this section is the gateway to the rest of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. At the canonical level, this paves the way for the blessings to flow to the nations. Persecution is the catalyst for the movement. At the textual level, Luke introduces a person, Saul of Tarsus, the most unlikely man for the task of bringing the gospel to the nations, to two significant events. The persecution causes the people to flee from Jerusalem and Saul of Tarsus, an enemy of the church, is introduced to us. As Acts chapter 8 opens up, he says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions, Judea. You remember the, the blueprint? Jerusalem, Judea. And it says they were spread into the area of Samaria, except for the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They were bearing witness of Jesus Christ. They were preaching the word to these people. Pastor Jason was so good to document this as he walked through these chapters uh, or these passages in the last few weeks. You remember in chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch is saved, a Gentile, an African, comes to Christ from the witness. He had been in Jerusalem, coming back home. Philip is taken down there. He is converted. In Acts chapter 9, another very significant event that he is leading the way, he's kind of putting all this picture together, Paul is saved and commissioned. Now, don't forget his commission. Let me just read it to you. It's in verse 15. This is why God says, he's talking to Ananias here about Paul, and he says this to him. He, Paul, he says, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name, to bear witness, just another way of saying that, to carry my name. I love that. You know, that's what we are. Don't ever lose sight of these little statements. Sometimes we make witnessing, sometimes we, we make the Christian life so difficult when the Christian life is about Jesus. It is just carrying the name of Jesus and bearing witness of this Jesus Christ the one we love and sing about. We carry his name. But he says, I am going, I've saved Paul and commissioned him that he would carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And so everything is set in place. And now we come to Acts chapter 10 where we see the full-blown transition to God's inclusion of the Gentiles into the body of Christ. Let's take just a moment to meet these individuals that are part of this and see the significance of it. Cornelius tells us here in chapter 10 was a centurion. So he is a Roman soldier. He is over 100 other Roman soldiers. He's a part of a cohort 
a group of six 100 men divisions. And then it talks about him in a spiritual sense in verse 2. He's a devout man. He feared God. He led his household to understand the significance of the God of Israel. He gave alms generously to the people. He was a giving man. He was a good man. And he prayed continually to God, the God of Israel, Jehovah, God. Even though he himself was not a Jew, he did not officially embrace Judaism. He did not become what one calls a proselyte. He did not receive circumcision, did not receive that mark of the covenant. But he is one who fears God. He's a God-fearer. He is one who gives. He has the marks of a genuine follower of God in the things that he's doing. And so he is praying. It's about... Three o'clock in the afternoon, the ninth hour. So in Caesarea is where he lives. Caesarea is a thoroughly Roman city. There's a great civil presence there. There's a temple to uh, Caesar there. It's a great military uh, place for uh, the Roman soldiers to train and be. And so you couldn't get much more Roman, Gentile, than the city of Caesarea. The other people that are involved in this scenario and this scene here, Peter. Peter plays a very significant role in the gospel going to the Jewish people. Peter, as we know, was a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. Peter had seen the many things. He was a part of the inner circle of Jesus. He saw the Spirit fall on that day of Pentecost. He was the one that preached on that particular day. Peter is thoroughly, thoroughly Jewish. He embraced all the various aspects, the rituals, the, the guidelines, the, the laws, the decrees, so many things. He embraced them fully. He is a believer. He's a, an ardent follower of Jesus, but he is Jewish thoroughly Jewish in what he does and how he's living life. Not all of the complexities of what Jesus did and fulfilled have all come together. They've not all come together in Peter's mind yet. They've not all taken shape and formation that we see happen later on in the New Testament. And so Peter is another individual. And he is where Jason left us in chapter 9 he is in Joppa, staying there for a time. You remember he was called back. Uh, Tabitha, uh, who is called Dorcas, died, and he brings her back to life, a very dramatic scene there. And so he remains at Joppa for several days, and he stays with a tanner whose name was Simeon, or Simon, Simon. All right, those are the characters. That's where they're located. Now let's take a few moments and look at two visions. As we march into this, I want to make a statement that, that it's an obvious statement, but it's something that we can miss at times. God's sovereign providential fingerprints are all over these visions. That should make perfect sense to us. If God is building the church... God has laid out the blueprint for the church. It would make sense that Jesus Christ, 
the builder of the church, the one who gave the blueprint, is the one who is bringing all things to pass. God is sovereignly moving. He sovereignly moves and works in our lives in the very same way. Sometimes it's just not real evident. Here it becomes extremely evident. Although Peter struggles with understanding, we the readers looking onto it from God's perspective see clearly God is orchestrating every element of this, every detailed element. But he does that in our life in all ways, even though that's difficult to really grasp at times. And so his fingerprints are all over this. These visions are setting the course of the spread of the gospel for the next 2,000 years. Can you imagine where we would be today if there was not this scene in the book of Acts? We sit here today and enjoy the preaching of God's word, salvation coming to us, the preaching of the word, and it has its roots in these two visions. The vision to Cornelius Let's look at verse 3. About the ninth hour, he saw clearly. <laughs> That's interesting here. He says this. He sees clearly. Now, Peter's perplexed, but Cornelius sees clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, now what would that do to you if you had a vision and you weren't used to having visions and this vision said to you, this angel of God, he spoke your name. Would that freak you out a little bit? It would me. And so it says, he stared at him in terror. Cornelius stares at this angel of God in terror and says, what is it, Lord? He recognizes it's something to do with God. He's praying. He's worshiping. He understands the greatness of God. And he said to him, this angel of God says back to Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. I like that language. We think about our prayers ascending, our works ascending to God. It, the language here is interesting. It goes back to Leviticus. We always wonder what, what significance does Leviticus have? And it goes back to Leviticus 2, and it talks about an offering that the priest would receive, and he would take a portion of it as a memorial or a commemoration of his love for God and would give that to the Lord. And as that was given to the Lord, it was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. And so it just simply talks about that what Cornelius is doing here in praying and giving alms is pleasing. It's a, it, God is aware of it. It's ascending to God like a memorial offering. And God is pleased with what he sees. And so he's responding to him. God is aware of what you are doing. And now send men to Joppa. That's the vision. The vision is very simple. All you have to do is send men to Joppa. And when they get to Joppa, I want you to go to a certain house, a house of Simon the Tanner. He lives down by the sea, so it's very detailed. And when you get there to that house, I want you to ask for a disciple, a man called Simon, Peter. He is lodging there at Simon's the Tanner's house. And Cornelius simply responds in faith in verse 8. 
And having related everything to these men, and he sends a soldier with them, he sends them to Joppa. Now look how God is orchestrating this. Now Peter knows nothing of this vision to Cornelius. He, is, he doesn't even know Cornelius. He doesn't know anything about him. He's just putting in time. And so it's around noon. He's up on the housetop praying. What normally happens to our stomachs around noon? We get hungry. And so he starts getting hungry. It tells us there. Peter went up on the housetop the sixth hour at noon to pray. He became hungry, wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, the people were, that were preparing his meal, he fell into a trance. Now, his vision is very different. He's going to have the substance of what's going to be talked about. Here's this vision. Heaven opens, and something like a great sheet, not real sure what it was, but that's how he describes it, it's descending. It's being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In this sheet, he sees all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, just like came to Cornelius. There came a voice to him. Now, this is what the voice says to Peter. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, to us, that wouldn't be a big deal. But to a Jewish person to see every manner of reptile, every manner of animal on this sheet and then be commanded to kill and eat would go against everything we'd been taught. God had taught us there are certain foods you do not eat because they are what? They are unclean. You cannot eat them. So many regulations in the Old Testament were clean and unclean. They were a means of identifying the people of God, that they were separate, that they were different. They were a people separated under their God, and there were certain things they could eat and certain things that they could not eat because of this mark upon them. And Peter embraced that fully. Peter, even at this point, these many months and years, or these months that are taking place here, he's still embracing all of these things that God had given him as a Jewish man. Even though Jesus Christ had died on the cross and they're preaching Christ. Peter says to this vision, now this is Peter. I mean, he's going he's gonna to stand up for what he thinks. By no means, Lord. How many times that he had spoken back to Jesus when he was on this earth? No, 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 you're not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do this. By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And I'm sure that is a very true statement from Peter. He maintained a very kosher diet. Only the things that God allowed would he eat. He wasn't a perfect man by any stretch, but he had followed these Jewish regulations. I will not do this. And the voice came to him again the second time. Now, this is a critical statement here. What God has made clean, do not call common. Now, if you're Peter, how are you applying that statement? You're applying it to the food. This happened three times. Three times God confronts Peter to do this, and Peter just 
he cannot get it in his mind. Look at verse 17. The vision is complete now. And while Peter was inwardly perplexed, so he's just trying to figure this out. A vision, excuse me, he was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean. Now, at this very moment that he's trying to figure this out, there's a knock at Simon's house. It is the men who have come from Cornelius. And so they make an inquiry. Is Simon here? Yes, he's here. And so in verse 19, Peter's pondering the vision. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down, so the angel says, you go take care of this. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man who is well spoken of of the whole Jewish nation. He was directed by holy angels to send you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. Can you imagine Peter? What am I going to say? I have no clue what I'm supposed to say. I've not been given a message. All I've seen is a vision of the sheet coming down, and I've been told that I should eat the animals that are there. What God has made clean, don't call unclean. So it doesn't make sense to him. But he invites them into the home. They spend the night. They leave the next morning to make the 30-mile trek north back up to Caesarea. So the next day he rose, went away with them. Now this is another important little part here. Some of the brothers, Jewish believers, Jewish converts, followers of Christ, some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And so they're going to go up and they're going to give a detailed witness of what's going to happen in, uh, later in this context. The following day they entered Caesarea, Cornelius expecting them. Cornelius was a man of faith. So expecting them, they call, he called his relatives. Peter's going to come, he's got something great to tell us. So he has all of his relatives and close friends. They're all there at the house. Peter enters in. Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet, worshiped him. Peter said, no, 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 no. I'm just a man like you. He wanted to show him reverence, Cornelius did. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, this is so interesting, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation. This wasn't a prescribed law of God, but it had become very much a part of the Jewish way. You couldn't even go into a Gentile house. You remember when Jesus went into the house of sinners and the, the, the religious leaders, they just, what is going on here? How can you even do this? You're clean and they're unclean. You cannot associate with them. And so he walks in, he says, don't you understand this? Whether it was at this moment or something along the pathway, Peter was able to take the vision about the animals and recognize that it wasn't about the animals. It was about people. Yes, animals as well, but the primary application of that was a people. But God has shown me, he says in verse 28, that I should not call any person common or unclean. And so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask, I ask then why you sent for me. 
So Cornelius is going to walk through this again. Cornelius said four days ago about this hour, and he talks about them praying and what he's done, calls Peter. In verse 33, the end of it says, Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Okay, we're ready for the message. Now Peter's going to break into that, and we'll see that next time. Let me read a portion to you. I've taken up my time and a little bit more of my time this morning. Let me read a portion that I think will be helpful for us to set in our hearts kind of a, a look back, not significantly just at this episode, this event, but in whole how this whole thing was in Peter's mind and what it became. Paul is speaking of this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, the Jewish people, which is made, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from the Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the commentary of the Old Testament times and much of coming into this scene. That's how the Gentiles were looked upon. That's what had, that was the reality of it. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's us. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and broken down the flesh that the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances such as the food and all that that he might create in himself one new man in place of two so making peace and might reconcile us both Jew and Gentile it's going to be a tremendous controversy in the early days of the church particularly in chapter 15 to reconcile us both in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he con continues to talk about it. He said, let me go down here. So that we are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. All the language of the Old Testament that spoke of buildings and all those things are transferred to a person. Everything is fulfilled and culminates in one person, Jesus Christ. It took Peter a while to really understand all that Christ had done in the gospel work. But he's beginning to. And chapter 10 is this major turning point as the message goes from primarily Jewish and now goes out to the nations. Today we prayed for a man who's translating the scriptures that people in northern Africa will know God's word, will understand and hear the gospel. Cody and Savannah are going to be with us, going to an unreached people group. They're training why to take the gospel to the nations. We give thousands of dollars here you invest your money as you give to fulfill what takes place here set in motion in acts 10 to take the message to the nations 
we go to our neighbors, we spread the word, we bear witness of Jesus, we exalt Christ, we sing of Christ, we pray to this end. And it all finds its origin in this major transition in Acts chapter 10. Don't miss this glorious truth. I hope as you think back on this passage that you'll stop sometime this week and just lift up your eyes to heaven and thank God for the truth that he is allowing us to share in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I trust that as we have looked at it, we have understood it properly, have been able to communicate it properly. And Lord, that your people would grow thereby. Father, I trust that you have been exalted, that you have been shown to be the builder, the Lord of the church, the cornerstone. Oh God, how we thank you. We thank you for the body of Christ. How beautiful. How absolutely beautiful. Not only Jesus and what he did, but his body today and how it functions. Oh God, give us a love for your people, a love for your church, a love for the gospel and spreading it to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
preaching this morning. Part two is in two weeks. Okay? Uh, the Gentiles are coming, but you've got to come back all right, in two weeks to hear part two to that sermon. Uh, so grateful for the preaching of the word. If you're here this morning, uh, week in and week out, we have elders, our staff will be up front. If you would like to pray, maybe just something, just a burden on your heart, something you would like us to pray with you about, please feel free to come up here after our gathering to 